I'm never grabbing microphone six again. Microphone six is in the trash heap. I'm just going to throw it under there. No, I'm just kidding. This has been a huge train wreck this morning. And then this is great. This is great. So look at your bulletin. There's announcements in it. There are things that we're doing. This Sunday is your last Sunday if you are a parent and you just need a couple of hours away from your kids. I get it. I have kids too. So if you want just a couple of hours away from your kids at the Welcome Center on your way out, you will see an opportunity where our youth want to serve you by watching your kids so you can go out and uh, have some moments with a friend, moments with a spouse, or just some quiet moments to yourself. Praise the Lord. I'm ready to get down now that I've embarrassed myself several times. And so if you would just stand. <laughs> if you would stand. I love how Satan just loves to take our attention off Jesus and put it on something silly. And so we're going to pray. <clears throat> After I look at John chapter 6 and read it, man, this is, I got, I got a sneaky suspicion Pastor Brandon is doing this next week. So, <laughs> chapter, John chapter 6, verse 37, listen to this. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but I should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What motivates our worship is the fact, the fact that God has given us to the Son, and the Son is keeping us, and now through his keeping work, the Spirit of God leads us to respond to him, and our worship for King Jesus is our response to God giving us and Jesus keeping us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our King. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He didn't come to save a um, few select people of one tribe, but he came to save people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. He has saved us, not according to the good things we've done, but he has saved us in spite of all the wrong that we've done. And so now we come worshiping this morning, knowing that there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. But we know it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. We're just responding to your saving work and your keeping work. And so as we sing, I pray it would not just be an expression of faith. I pray our songs this morning, our Bible study this morning, all that we do would be an expression of faith and love for our King. Thank you for grace. Thank you for all you've done for us. Now empower our worship through your spirit. And it's in his name we pray.
foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have found. Fear not, he is with us, oh, be not dismayed, for he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by his mercy.
thankful that uh, you invited us to stand and sing because I was just about to do that on my own. I, I'm so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Those songs we sang about him uh, this morning uh, resounded my soul because I love the Lord Jesus. I, I love the phrase merciful and mighty. Aren't you glad he's both of those things? He's, he's not merciful and then can't do anything and neither is he mighty and not merciful. He's both. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, we're going to continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of God's Word. So I am going to invite you to stand. And if you want to be finding Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read together verses 5 through 15. Uh, One of the reasons I invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture is uh, because He is holy. We want to show Him honor. But just to underscore... If you're going to hear anything today, you want to hear what God says in his word. 
And the one who is going to wipe away every tear is the one speaking right here in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together now. Father, we confess we need help. And we're thankful that we can receive help from one who is mighty and merciful. One who is above all things holy. So we ask that what you would like us to know, believe, trust, hope for, and obey from the passage of scripture we've just read is what we do all of those things in. We thank you for your, your word and pray that it is what uh, corrects, helps, and transforms us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And of course, you, you may be seated and... Uh, message this morning is entitled, Jesus Helps Us Know How to Get Started Praying the Right Way. I'm kind of guessing if, uh, if I asked you, and we were just talking one-on-one, and I said, tell me about your prayer life, something might quickly rise up in your heart, and it might be this. Ugh. There's something about prayer life, isn't it? Like, we all know we should pray. And for most of us, praying is something we want to do, but just when it comes to our actual prayer life, we'd say, man, I need help. Oh, I've got some good news. Jesus knows you need help. Jesus knows I need help, and he is willing to help us. A couple of weeks ago, it was uh, my middle Priscilla's birthday, and uh, we went to King's Dominion, and uh, I'm at that age where I got to pick my spots. Do you know what I mean? So I was trying to ease into the roller coaster thing. They rode several without me, and I just bounced Jenna on my, uh, uh, on, my, on my hip a little bit while they rode. And then every now and then they say, Dad, I want you to ride. So I, I picked one, and I was going to ride with them. Wait in line. We get on the roller coaster, and like most of them, it starts up a high hill, and then it just stops. And we sit there long enough. We say, this isn't working. Obviously, this is not part of the ride. And then I kind of glance over my shoulder, and you can kind of see the workers there, and they're kind of scrambling. They're hitting buttons, and we're pretty good ways away from them, but I can see the look on one of their faces that I know that he knows this thing ain't working. So about 10 minutes goes by, they've called somebody, and then I look down, and they're walking up the stairs. And one by one, they come and release the latch, and we walk down. Prayer life can be like that. 
You, you say, it should be exciting. It should be vibrant. I know there has to be more to this. But you just kind of try to get started and then you're stuck. Well, that's why we're here in Matthew chapter 6. You know, recently we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon has tried everything in his life but the Lord to fill up his life. And one way we explained it is that Ecclesiastes raises all sorts of questions that find their answer in Jesus. Amen? Apart from Jesus, life is not abundant. Apart from Jesus, life's not even really life. Life becomes more cursed than blessing, something to be endured rather than to be enjoyed. And abundant life is the gift of God. And friends, any life that is abundant, a large part of that is a deep and abiding and fruitful prayer life. Nobody has an abundant life that doesn't have a prayer life along the lines of what Jesus is teaching us here. So here's my aim over the next couple of uh, weeks, the next couple of Sunday mornings, is to spur you on to love to pray. So I'd ask that. Do you love praying? If the answer right now is no, my aim is to use Sunday mornings to spur you on to love to pray. Because I really believe that once we know what praying really is, it becomes something we love to do. It's no longer a task to be performed. It's an invitation to be enjoyed. And the invitation is from God himself. You remember the disciples, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they go up to Jesus. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they had spent time with Jesus and saw that his life was saturated with prayer. Before he was baptized, he prayed. As his popularity in ministry was growing, he more frequently withdrew for extended times of prayer. Before he chose his disciples, he spent the entire night praying. After the disciples confessed that he's to Christ, he prayed. As he drew near to death, he prayed. The whole night before he was crucified, what was Jesus doing? Praying. When he was nailed to the cross, he prays. And you know, as he's on the cross, his very last breath, a prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What is Jesus doing right now? He's living to make intercession for you. Is your life on earth saturated in prayer? If we flipped over to the book of Acts, when the early church got together, you know what they got together to do? Well, a number of things to encourage one another, to, to eat together. But man, anytime they were together, they prayed. Church was absolutely saturated in prayer. Prayer was no burden for them. It was their greatest privilege. So, so I'm praying that we can pray like they prayed. So let's ask together, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's begin here. If you've got a sermon outline and you want to follow along in the notes, you're welcome to do that. Most of the points will be put on, on the screen. So we'll start here. Learning to pray begins with understanding that on our own, none of us really knows how to pray. The scripture says this in Romans 8. The spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. Is uh, the question, how's your prayer life a sort of a source of guilt, maybe? Like, uh, uh, it should be better. It, it's just a little bit confusing. Can we be honest for a moment? Sometimes you pray and pray and pray and ask for something that you really desire, and it never happens. Anybody ever been there? 
and I have prayed, and I have prayed, and I have prayed, and this has not happened. And then other times, you, you kind of hope for something, and you don't hardly spend any time praying for it, and it comes to pass. Isn't that a little bit confusing, right? That, that leaves us with this question that we would never say out loud. Does prayer do anything Anybody ever ask that? Does, does praying do anything at all? I mean, if God is sovereign and his will is going to come to pass, why does it matter if I pray about it at all? Well, we're so weak in praying. We're weak in knowing how to pray. We're weak in knowing what to pray for. And we're weak in persisting in prayer. But a healthy prayer life begins by confessing this is something that we need help with. And Jesus helps us right here in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. He's going to tell us two specific inclinations we have about prayer, two very common things that all of us, if left to ourselves, will do that he says don't do. So here's the first one. First of all, he says that hypocrites pray to be seen by others as something they're not in secret. You know, a key to, a, to, to walking with the Lord is being honest. That's hard to do, though, isn't it? The best things you can do for your prayer life, if your prayer life is weak right now, is to say, Lord, my prayer life is weak. Not because he doesn't know that, but because you can begin to have an honest relationship with the Lord. Where do we get this? We get this from our, uh, this inclination to say things that aren't really true about ourselves. Where does that come from? It comes from the heart, right? I mean, as soon as sin enters the world, Adam and Eve pretend to be things they're not. They pr pretend that they've got everything together when everything is a wreck right they cover themselves up but here comes God he's walking they run from him and then Adam immediately just lays into the Lord about this wife that had been a blessing then now it's all her fault we, we get this from the sin nature that we want to be seen as something that we're not in verse 5 when you when you pray notice he doesn't say if you pray but when you pray you must not be pretty strong way of phrasing it like the hypocrites for they love what do you love with you love with your heart so something's going on in their heart they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others now interestingly uh there's a lot that jesus doesn't mention about prayer he doesn't teach us how long to pray he doesn't teach us what time of the day to pray, how many times a day to pray, if we should stand when we pray or sit when we pray or kneel when we pray, if we should open our eyes or close our eyes when we pray. I remember, you know, when we were growing up as kids in church and I couldn't wait to tell my mom that my, brother, my brothers, their eyes weren't closed when they were praying. Pretty foolish, pretty foolish uh, way to try to get somebody, right? Should we fold our hands or lift our hands when we pray? But Jesus most assuredly tells us not to pray to be seen by other people. So right off the bat, Jesus identifies the number one obstacle to God honoring prayer. And it's this, pride. A proud person rarely prays. And a proud person, if they pray, they pray in order to be seen by others. Seen by others as what? As the very thing they're not. A seeker of the Lord. You see, what a trap. What a trap 
to have the reputation of one who seeks the Lord without seeking the Lord. It's called hypocrisy, right? When we pretend to be something in public that we're not in private. So your prayer life should be like an iceberg. You know, you just see the tip above the surface and some icebergs, man, there's this huge thing underneath the surface. That's how your prayer life should be. I don't believe in any way that Jesus is saying don't ever pray in public. What he is saying is if you're praying in public but in secret you don't seek the Lord, then you are living a life of hypocrisy. And this is very, very common. It was then, it is now. So who you are when nobody else is around, that is who you are. And if in secret your heart does not desire to pray, it's very dangerous to act like you do when others are around. But this can be a trap, right? It can be a trap. One of the hardest things we, we have, one of the hardest things that there is to do in life is to be honest in settings like this. You can spend your whole life saying, I want to speak and look in such a way that nobody ever raises their eyebrows at me. Let's practice it. How are you doing? You, you are patterned to, to, to answer that question in a way that doesn't lead to this. It's such a trap, isn't it? That you could spend your whole life hiding from God among the people of God. That's crazy, isn't it? But man, it's true. It's true. So some of the places people most hide from God is among the people of God. And it's it can be done because we get in this pattern of not being honest with one another. That's why Ephesians 4, therefore, putting away falsehood, let us speak the truth to one another, for we're members of one another. Jesus understands that pride dwells in every human heart and that pride is the true enemy of God honoring prayer. The reason we're all weak when it comes to prayer is that pride dwells in all of our hearts. So the first obstacle to God-honoring prayer is, is pride. Man, the trap goes so deep because the very thing that should be our most humble practice, prayer, becomes the thing that we do as performance to be seen by others. Uh, one thing... Uh, uh, that's helpful in knowing how to pray is to pray the scripture, right? And as you read the Bible and Jesus underscores things, I would, I would begin to, to make that my, my prayer list. We've all been in places that say, who's got prayer requests? The next time you're in a place and somebody says, who's got a prayer request? Just start reading scripture. That's the best way to get your prayer request. And so a prayer would be, God, you have identified a desire in my life to be seen by other people and I need your help with this. God, deliver me from wanting to have the attention, the approval, the acceptance, and the applause of other people. That's what's going on here. And notice what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So shallow and fleeting, and it doesn't last. So, so look what Jesus, he says, don't do that, but instead, when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And it's right here. I just want to briefly make an appeal. You need to guard your ability to spend time alone. 
you're not going to have a healthy prayer life if you can't go in the room and close the door and within 30 seconds not get the itch to pick up your phone, to put on a screen, to put on some, you know. One of the hardest people you'll have to spend time with is yourself alone. But go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father. Seek your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, when I was reading this week, um, one of the books that, uh, that I read was Kevin DeYoung's book, The Lord's Prayer. And on the subject of hypocrisy, he said something so insightful and helpful, I wanted to make it certainly a part of our time together. So hypocrisy, again, is uh, portraying something in public that you're not in private. But we don't want to misapply that principle. So listen to what Kevin DeYoung says. He says, too often Christians, that's us, uh, think of hypocrites as people who do one thing but feel another. This is important because we live in a generation that tells you, you do what you feel. And that's justification enough. So he says, but that's, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrites publicize one set of beliefs but live a different set of beliefs. So when you come to church, for example, but don't feel like it, that's faithfulness. When you do the right thing in your marriage, even when you don't feel much in love, that's fidelity. He writes, I've heard too many times, Pastor, I would be a hypocrite to stay in this marriage because I don't feel in love anymore. Or I would be a hypocrite to worship when I don't feel like worshiping. Doing what is right when you don't feel like doing what is right is maturity. Professing one thing in public but living a different way in private is hypocrisy. So hypocrisy rooted in pride is a big barrier to prayer. And that's inclination number one that we've all got. So the enemy's pretty persistent. Most people can hear, yeah, pride, barrier to prayer, makes sense. I don't want to do that. So here's barrier number two, false humility, right? Barrier number one is pride. Barrier number two is, okay, I shouldn't be proud, so I'm going to make it look like I really am not proud, but I'm really humble. That's what he warns against next. So when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So hypocrites pray to be seen by others as something they are not. Pagans or Gentiles, that's the word that Jesus uses here, think they must perform a certain way to get God's attention. Perform a certain way to get God's attention. So, so here, uh, Jesus is referring to those uh, people who have no correct information or knowledge of who God really is. And, and nothing, friends, nothing reveals what you really believe about God better than how you pray, what you pray for, and who it is you think you're talking to, of course, when you pray. So almost everyone everywhere at some point or another prays, and let's have some humility to receive this, and most everyone everywhere takes the wrong step first. Instead of taking a step towards God as he really is, we take a step in the other direction. We, we think there's something we have to do to get God's attention. You think about Elijah. When he called fire down from heaven and, and um, you think about the prophets of Baal and all the things they were doing, right? 
cutting themselves, crying out, screaming out. This kind of this mentality is the more the more uh, dramatic I am in my approach, the more likely it will be that God will pay attention to to me. Have to use the right phrase, or we have to make the right sacrifice. We have to get the order right or the process right. And if we don't get the right things the right way with the right intensity and the right volume, God will not pay attention or be disposed to help. Even the Lord's Prayer can be used this way, right? He's going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and I'll just regurgitate it from memory. But that's, the Lord's Prayer is not a, list, a, a formal prayer to be mindlessly repeated, but as a model on how to pray, as we'll talk about in just a, just a moment. What Jesus is getting at, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Here's the counsel he gives. Do not be like them. Do not be like them. We don't pray to impress God. Can I just give you some encouragement? You're not going to impress him. Who's ever known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who's ever given God that God would repay? And you don't, as a follower of Jesus, those, those of us who've placed our faith in, them, in, in him, rather, you don't have to impress God or appease God. Do you know why? Jesus already has. He's already done it. What, what are we going to bring to the table to add to what Christ has done on our behalf? So don't be like them. In prayer, you don't need to perform for other people, but you also don't have to perform for God. He already knows you. When Abel was about five or six years old, we were here on a Sunday morning and uh, got time for the invitation, the time of response, right? So I did what I do on most Sundays, and that's I came down here, stepped down here, and uh, was standing here, and Abel was sitting right over there. It was a time of invitation, you know, we're singing, and then he just walks right up to me. And I didn't know what was going on. I was like, well, what's, what's he doing? And uh, he had a piece of paper, and he had colored a picture. I had been preaching about uh, Moses, probably in Exodus 33 that morning. It's one of my very favorite chapters in the Bible. And he was coloring from Sunday school a picture of Moses. At five years old, in his mind, he just decided, I want to show Daddy my picture. Now, I'd say, here's what I appreciate. He didn't say in his heart, I'll just wait till later. Probably not the right time to do this. Time of invitation. And he just boldly kind of walked up and said, here's my picture. And I remember I kneeled down beside of him and I said, well, tell me about this picture. He says, it's a Moses. So uh, he's, he's just excited to show me that he'd colored a picture of Moses because I had been preaching from the life of, of Moses. Here's kind of the point. There's not a right or wrong time between a father and his child. That's what Jesus is saying. I mean, I, 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 I can't... Imagine if one of my children came up and just started heaping up empty phrases to me as I was sitting, you know, sitting in my chair in the living room. And they just said, before I can get his attention, I'm going to cycle through some 30 minutes of phrases. They have my attention as soon as they walk in the room. And I'm a sinful father. Jesus will say that later on in Matthew 6. If you being an earthly dad know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Your heavenly father, he knows what you need before you ask him. 
when I was a little bit younger than Abel was at that time, I had one of the most puzzling experiences of my life. The youngest of three boys, and uh, my mom came into our Saturday morning, uh, which was usually playing with my G.I. Joe men and my Transformers, and said, everybody up, get dressed, we've got somewhere to be. Get dressed, by the way. I think she said, in your Sunday clothes on a Saturday morning for a four-year-old child is like the worst thing that there is. And I, I, this is one of my earliest memories, getting these clothes, I just didn't know what was happening. You know, get in the car as the youngest. I always had the middle seat. Anybody grew up, you know, always had the middle. You're in the middle seat, sit there. And we went to Cross Creek Mall in Fayetteville, North Carolina. They took a picture. It was such a momentous occasion. I think I've got it. Can we put it on the screen? There it is. I'm the littlest one. And, and, and I, I'm, I, I think I'm not even four. I don't even know how. I'm little. Go sit on santa claus's lap and and i'll just tell you first time i didn't know what was going on go talk to this man i don't know who this man is you know and here was the instructions i was given tell him what you want so i did i I actually probably didn't honestly listen to what my brothers had to say but i remember what he asked me you know what he asked me don't you have you what been a good boy this year teach them young you get if you've performed and friends you carry that mentality into prayer you don't know the father because can i can can i give you the answer have you been a good good person Mm-mm. no you haven't prayer is not and it's hard for us because we live in this culture where everything is an exchange of goods and services right and some of y'all, nobody can do anything for you because you don't going to repay. If somebody tried to buy your lunch, you'd, you'd fight to the death there at K&W, you know. You're not getting out of here paying for me. And, and friends, we, in humility, we have to come to a point and say, man, I can't appease God. I can't pray enough, do enough, say enough, empty phrases. But Jesus, praise God, but Jesus can so, so that, that brings us to this point. We, we move from having to pray to wanting to pray when we see God as beautiful more than seeing him as useful. Do you view God as glorious, beautiful, mighty, and merciful? Why do we sing when we get together to worship the Lord? Because he's glorious. How we approach him reveals so much. It reveals whether we really understand the gospel or not. It it reveals what we really believe about God, what we really believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world, what we believe about the future. And it most certainly reveals whether we view God as useful, just somebody's going to do some stuff for us or give us what we want or as amazingly beautiful. Because I will tell you, having given his son, he doesn't owe you anything else. He didn't owe you his son, obviously. But he's demonstrated his love for you, and while you were yet a sinner, Christ died. He who graciously gave us his son, how will he not give us all things? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So instead of asking for one more thing, prayer should be moving us to a deeper appreciation 
of what God has already done. So to make that point in, in your notes, if you're following along, a follower of Jesus does not pray to get something from God, but rather more of God. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see how the prayer starts about all, all the things that are about God? You know, so many of the things that in my life I've asked for are exposed for how shallow and fleeting they are in light of the cross and the empty tomb. If you were standing before Christ as he was being crucified, what would you ask of him? And if you were standing by the empty tomb on that glorious resurrection day, what would you ask for of, of him? That's what prayer is. If you got the last thing you really asked for God, would it glorify him or would it glorify you? We're, we're met right at the front. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and, and your will be done. And then one more point for this morning. In the, in the weeks that are to come, we'll spend a lot of time in the Lord's Prayer. I read... Oh, uh, one author say this week, the Lord's Prayer takes about 20 seconds to say out loud, but you can think about it and study it every day for the rest of your life and learn something. And that's true. So we'll mine its depths together in the Sundays that are to come, but, but we'll kind of land here this morning. Is that Jesus teaches us that God's desire is that we know him and come to him as our heavenly father. So don't be proud just to be seen by other people, and, and don't be falsely humble, thinking that if I just say a bunch of stuff and get the right phrases that God will listen. Don't be like them, Jesus says. Pray then like this. In other words, a model prayer. Now, I would say if you don't know what else to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, and then ask God to kind of tune your heart to what it emphasizes. But it's, we pray like this. And the first two words is what we'll emphasize this, this, this morning. Our Father. There is not one single, single, I'm not being redundant, not, not a single, single pronoun in the Lord's Prayer. No me's and my's. Only ours. They're all plural. So he might be your father, but he isn't just your father. Amen? So, what I'm asking of him, would that be good for everybody or just for me, right? Prayer, spirit-led, God-honoring, Christ-exalting prayer invites you into a world that's bigger than you and your life and your wants and into a global and eternal kingdom. Your kingdom come. And when Jesus taught his people to pray, he tells us to approach God as our Father. Now, this didn't happen when we read it at the start of the sermon, but it probably happened when Jesus originally taught this back in his earthly ministry, that when he said, pray then like this, and he said, our Father. I didn't hear anybody in the room go, oh! but I bet you there were some people then that did. He's our creator. He's our sovereign Lord. He's the Almighty. But Jesus tells his disciples, when you pray, Pray our 
Father. Now, certainly the Lord is our creator. He is our king. He is our maker. He is our judge. He is our Lord. All those names do belong to him. But Jesus taught his people to say, our father. Now, I know this about you. You have an earthly father. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. We've often said that two kinds of dads. When you got got in trouble... First of all, there's the dad who you say, I hope my dad doesn't find out about this. Dad can't know about this. Or when you're in the midst of trouble and need help, say, I need my dad's help right now. If I can just get my dad to come, right? Which father is the Lord? I know this is a little bit sensitive. What word would you use to describe your earthly dad? There are all kinds of dads, aren't there? At their best, at their best, an earthly dad has a character like God's, loving, involved, present. Dads that when they enter the room, things get better, not worse. Burdens are lighter, not, not heavier. But not all dads are like that. Because the world has fallen sinful, and if, this, will, this makes sense, of course, if God's desire is for you to view him most prominently as father, that would mean the enemy's chief aim is to get you to think of a dad in the worst possible ways. So some dads are angry, some dads are absent, some dads are abusive. Some dads are criticizers, some dads are complainers, some dads are uncaring. So again, if God more than any other way wants us to come to him as father, the world, the flesh, the devil work overtime to have that word and identity, father, as marred as possible. But God is the perfect heavenly father as a father is meant to be, as he is. So, so prayer is being with your perfect heavenly Father. Can I just give you a glimpse of something? You're in Matthew, if you're with me in Matthew 6. Just go back to that last Old Testament book, Micah. Micah is a prophesying about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And I just want you to see the note that the Old Testament kind of ends on, right? Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4 and verse 5, just get the thrust of God's heart as the Old Testament concludes. Uh, Micah 4, 5, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You see hope and judgment bound up together, don't you? He's saying, when, when God's at work, the fathers act a whole lot more like God, right? Turn their hearts. We'll wrap up with an illustration from 
recent in my life, August the 20th, 2022, it's a momentous day for me. I came inside and found Mary Claire, my oldest, and she was holding my five-month-old daughter, Jenna, in her arms, kind of bouncing her. We do that a lot with Jenna, by the way. You probably picked up on that. Somebody's always bouncing her. And when Jenna saw me, she smiled. Best thing I've got going in my life right now is every time that little girl sees me, she smiles. And I walked up to her, and I said, hey, Jenna, how are you? And I kind of clapped my hands, and I went like this. And for the first time ever, Jenna was looking at me, and she did this. It was, it was that quick and that small. She reached for me. Her little bitty hands reached in my direction. And you know what I did? I looked at her and said, you didn't quite do that right, sweetheart. You didn't reach right. You need to extend the arms a little further. Of course not. Of course that's not what I did. When she reached for me, do you know what I did? I reached for her. I picked her up. I hugged her. I kissed her. Told her how much I love her. And you know why I did that? Because I'm her dad. I am her dad. When, when she reached for me, what was she saying? I want to be with that guy. I want him to hold me. I want to be near him. I want to go where he goes. I want him to carry me. What was she asking from me? Me. And that's what prayer is. Our aim is to see prayer not as something we should do. Man, I don't think I would be blessed. I don't really think I'd be blessed if they just sort of trained a Jenna to reach for me. Now, when Daddy comes in the room, smile at him and reach for him. Now, now we ultimately all do what we love to do, right? And man, it blesses me to have a child who wants to be with me. Me. So, so God-exalting, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered prayer begins when we acknowledge who God is in light of the cross. The cross is where the greatest hindrance to prayer in our hearts is exposed, and that's pride. The cross exposes pride for what it is, a great barrier between me and God. Praise God, the cross is also where I learned that trying to earn God's favor is so misplaced. The cross is where God demonstrates he's not the father to run from in trouble. He's the father to run to in trouble. Prayer is doing the opposite of what Adam and Eve do in the garden after the fall. They covered themselves. They ran from God. They hid from God. They blamed God. Christ-exalting prayer is, God, you know me, and you know what I need most is you. I'm not running from you. I'm running to you. And here's what you'll realize when you take a step towards the Lord. 
is he's already made the first move towards us. So what I'd love for us to do together is ask that glorious God to help us take a step towards life-giving prayer and move away from burdensome prayer, which really isn't prayer, to take a step towards seeing prayer as an amazing invitation from a God who loves us, not a task to be performed so that we might gain favor with him. So let's stand together. We're going to pray together and then have a time of invitation. Now, I'm going to be here uh, during the invitation, during time of response, to pray with you, um, to pray for you. Maybe you've got a burden on your heart. It would be my joy to do that. Maybe you want to know more about Jesus and talk about that during this time or at the, at, at the end of the service. I'm, I'm, always, I'm never in a rush on Sundays. I'll be here. But if you bow your heads with me, ultimately a time of response is a time of response to the Lord on the basis of what we've read in His Word. So here's how I'm going to encourage you to respond. By taking these few moments to be honest with the Lord about the state of your prayer life. Father, you know right now my prayer life is, he knows, man, any healthy relationship is built on honesty. And, and then second, that you'd ask him, God, help me to love to pray because I love you. If you'll reach for him, you know the Bible says it best, draw near to him draw near to you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you the, that the one who's teaching us how to pray is the one who has made our praying to you possible. That there is no barrier between us and you because Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. He's merciful and mighty. Gloriously resurrected. Soon to come. Give us grace to be a praying people. I ask for my church, for our church family, that we are a praying people. In Jesus' name.